If you're a pre-med, you need to check out this week's The Pre-Med Years, where I interview the dean of a brand new medical school, Carl Illinois College of Medicine. This is Specialty Stories, session number 45. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. And welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. Now at the beginning I say pre-med or medical student for a interview like we have today, you might even be a physician out in residency, specifically anesthesiology residency for this interview. I had a great discussion with Meninder Singh, who is a cardiac anesthesiologist in an academic setting. He's been out of his fellowship training now for four and a half years, and he's in a large academic medical center in Cleveland, Ohio. And we talk all about his interest in going into cardiac anesthesiologist, what he likes about his job, what he doesn't like about his job, and so much more. So we jump into the conversation with Meninder talking about why he chose anesthesiology and more specifically cardiac anesthesiology. Um, so anesthesiology kind of started as being a interest, being the medical student who was interested in every special, every rotation that I was on. I want to do medicine, or now I want to do neurology, now I want to do GYN. Uh, anesthesia was kind of a perfect mixture of everything. And uh, the way it was kind of, a, uh, kind of a decision of exclusion. After I excluded everything else, that what was left was anesthesia. And uh, what uh, kind of drove it home was my first, rota- first day on my first anesthesia rotation. The first intubation I ever attempted, patient went into asystole while I was intubating, and the whole OR went from zero to 1,000 miles an hour, the chest compression, atropine, whatever, ACLS protocol, back to being zero miles an hour within a matter of 10 seconds. And being the third-year medical student, I was still trying to figure out what just happened. And uh, it was that was kind of the driving home a point that, uh, you know, you're close to the fire and it gets really ugly really quickly and then you're in control of things. You bring back everything back to normal. So you knew pretty That's early on that anesthesiology, not ne- not specifically anesthesiology, but more specifically cardiac anesthesiology was, was where you were headed. Yeah, I mean, cardiac was fun. So, I mean, I was always, if I go into medicine, we'll do cardiology. Uh, and if you go into surgery, then do CT surgery. So I always had... Uh, 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 interest in cardiology. Why do you think that uh, is? Uh, I just think just the physiology, just being uh, close to, you know, being around codes while I was a medical student and the cardiologist walks in and when everybody else is freaking out and they're like, oh, that's just SVT, just give some of this and go away. And uh, so I think just the level of understanding and the impact that you can have on a patient in an acute setting and uh, uh, not to mention the outcomes that you get to see right away as well. Is probably what was the point that was most uh, most uh, attractive. When you mentioned earlier about kind of being the med student that loves everything, mm-hmm. a lot of students will talk about 
that was their initial interest into emergency medicine. Did you ever have that differentiation between, okay, um, there's emergency medicine that kind of covers everything, or there's anesthesiology that kind of covers everything? What what was it that drew you into the operating room? Uh, I think it was actually pretty close for those two. I think I just ended up doing my anesthesia elective before I did uh, ED elective. So I think whichever one I would have done first, because it's very close. Whatever you, you know, your interventions that you're doing, you get to see the outcome right away. And uh, being an impatient person, I think that helps in both fields. And uh, also, you know, a lot of procedures, uh, you take care of a lot of people. Um, but the difference I feel like was the, your day is a little bit more regimen. I think that that helped me from the standpoint of, you know, I'm not doing a different shift every day or working nights one week and, you know, just having a little bit more control on the schedule. Which was a little bit more, uh, which made a little bit more sense to me back when I was, you know, 23, 24 year old trying to make this decision. I think that's what swayed me away from, uh, from ED. Um, okay. What traits do you think lead to being a good cardiac anesthesiologist? Um, you know, there's some traits that are going to be useful, just goes along with every part of, uh, medicine. I think as a physician, um, being a, being a team leader, regardless of the setting, is 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 a most important trait. Being a good good communicator, it also helps uh, from the standpoint of you know working with the CT surgeon and you know patient comes in with aortic dissection. Uh, now I have to tell the surgeon if the patient didn't have the chance to get a CT whether it's you know ascending dissection or is a descending dissection, descending aortic dissection, because incision position everything is different. So I think being involved, being uh, part of that intense decision-making um, is something that uh, uh, you have to be confident in your skills and uh, also being not being center of attention while making a decision that's going to pretty much determine what's going to happen to the patient. Um, so I think it was just, uh, as somebody once described me, it's like being closest to the fire without actually being inside the fire. So. <laughs> Um, so I think those are the things that kind of made a made an impact because there's this outside view or vision of anesthesia as just being you know peripherally involved, and cardiac kind of gives you a way in where you're making diagnosis from the standpoint of your transesophageal echocardiography, uh, which has become huge in the last five to ten years, and you know now we're doing lot lots more percutaneous valves and things of those sort where your TE makes a huge difference. I think you are the first subspecialty of anesthesiology that we've had on talk about the the need or the reason for subspecializing for anesthesiology i think as as new students are going through this process they think oh anesthesiology you're just you're the ones putting people to sleep what is the the specific organ or or body part have to do with the the training um, so from the standpoint of, you know, the different population we do, so there's pediatric anesthesia, neuroanesthesia, obstetric anesthesia, cardiac anesthesia, uh, regional and pain, those are the main specialty and critical care. Uh, I think it gives you different options within the field, uh, what you, I mean, vast uh, majority of the things you can do. Uh, I think from the standpoint of the patient population, it's extremely different when you're putting, um, you know, a four-week or like, you know, four-hour-old with tetralogy of flow to sleep versus, uh, you know, 30-year-old athlete with the ACL tear to sleep versus a uh, 90-year-old with uh, severe aortic stenosis with a 
aortic valve area of point of point four to sleep. Um, so, and also what surgery is happening is going to have a huge impact on their physiology and what your input is from the standpoint. Like I mentioned, you're doing uh, a valve replacement and the surgeon is putting in a valve and there's a big leak around the valve. Now you need to be pretty slick with the TEE to tell surgeon that or challenge the surgeon when they say oh, the valve is fine and you're telling them there's a big leak in the valve. So I think it, it, it it's driven by your interest and I think it's a, based on what surgeries the patient is getting, what comorbidities the patient has, what the population, what the patient ages makes a huge difference and uh, and uh, and it's sig- uh, specialized enough that uh, you need certain group of people that get advanced training in that particular field to provide the best care for the patient. And the field is changing dramatically with all the procedures that we have available for the patients now. So it's nice to be expert in that exact procedure and uh, for the patient population. Talk about the the types of patients that you're you're seeing. You guys are bringing to the operating room. What sort of diseases are, are you treating? Uh, so again, it's still cardiovascular, is still the number one cause of death. Um, and there's a re the patients from a cardiac standpoint that we bring into the OR are patients. You know, you're, you're um, relatively stable patient that is coming in for an elective coronary artery bypass surgery, um, which is ended up being a pretty straightforward surgery. And then you know you have an option you can do it on pump or an off pump sur- uh, cabbage. Uh, then to next up would be the valves, uh, mostly left sided valves. You have a patient that coming in with aortic stenosis, uh, aortic regurgitation. You have a patient that coming in mitral valve uh, lesions. You have a patient that coming with endocarditis. Then we get into right sided lesion. Patient coming with tricuspid issues. Um, patient more and more congenital cardiac uh, patients are living longer now so now we see them in their adult life coming up with ASDs and sometimes if your myocardial infarction is bad enough you're coming in with a VSD and um, those are kind of the patient population from a cardiac standpoint and from a heart failure standpoint there's a huge shortage for lung transplant uh, for a heart transplant um, Organs, so lot, lot, lots more people are getting placed on assist devices until uh, an organ is available. So that's another patient population uh, that we're working more and more on. What percentage of the cases are you doing uh, are actually cardiac specific or are more general? Uh, probably half and half. So fifty percent cardiothoracic. That includes uh, you know a lot of lung surgery as well. And then some cardiac surgery, which is again half uh, probably bypass operations, the other half being valve um, valve replacements or valve repairs. You're in an academic setting. As a cardiac anesthesiologist, are there opportunities to go to the community? And if there are, why are you? Why did you decide to stay in an academic role? Um. So the answer to your first question is, uh, yes, there are a lot of uh, programs that are community-based programs that are extremely busy, and there's a huge demand for cardiac anesthesia, um, especially pay, uh, nowadays when you're coming out of fellowship, uh, you are uh, transesophageal echocardiography trained. And that's essentially the the culture used to be after the surgeon do the surgery, you come off a bypass, and now you have to call the cardiology to, cardiologist to the operating room to come take a look at the valve. Um, so you bring in another physician provider into the room and uh, that just didn't go well with the flow of the things. And uh, now we have essentially taken cardiology out of the operating room. And uh, that's 
one of the reasons to be an academic as well because the, the acuity of the patients that you see are a lot sicker. The operations you are doing are, uh, are much sicker. And you have to take care of, uh, you get to teach residents, which also keep you on your toes and keep your skills uh, up to speed. Uh, so that's my passion for teaching is probably why I'm at academia. Do you have to take a lot of call? Uh, not, not terrible. I mean, as a group, we take, uh, we take about one weekend day call. So about 24 hour in house on the weekend. And then we'll do about anywhere from one to two weekend days, which will usually be a 16 hour call. You go in at 3 p.m. You stay till seven. Cardiac call end up being a home call. So a lot of time it's be, you know, if they're bringing somebody back from the operating, uh, from, uh, from the ICU for a bleed or whatnot. Uh, but rarely get called back for cardiac. Is that one weekend per month or per week? Per month. Okay, not terrible. Yeah, yeah no, for, for academic, there are about 25 of us, so that end up being, you know, one weekend a month for everybody. Okay, so big, big academic practice. Yeah. What, um, what do you feel, as, as we were talking before we hit record, you have a, a, a young baby at home, do you feel like being a cardiac anesthesiologist in a big academic center uh, allows you to have enough time for family as well? Oh, yeah, definitely. That's one of the reason benefits of being in anesthesia. Uh, your life is a little bit more structured. Um, cardiac is probably one of the busiest subspecialties out of uh, all the subspecialties in anesthesia, but uh, it's pretty pretty well-balanced. It's also center-specific, so we would do at, you know one case a day, and usually done by two or three o'clock by the time you drop the patient off, finish your paperwork, you know, probably be home between four and five o'clock. Um, and, you know, going in, probably leave and get to the hospital at 7 a.m. So, it's, I mean, you're looking at an eight to 10 hour day, uh, but uh, five o'clock, you're home, you can have, you know, uh, dinner with your family, play with your kid, go, and once they're a little bit older, whatever their evening activities are, you can take a part of it. So, yeah, I feel pretty good about being, uh, having the ability to be involved. Not bad. What does the the path look like to become a cardiac anesthesiologist with residency and fellowship? So, out of medical school, you will uh, apply for uh, for an anesthesia residency, and uh, anesthesia residencies, uh, what used to be described as advanced, would be one year of uh, some sort of general training, from transition year to general surgery to medicine, uh, to and then you would have three years of dedicated anesthesia training. And uh, after you finish your anesthesia, the cardiac fellowship is one additional year uh, where you would go and essentially deal with uh, high-intensity programs where you're doing multiple cases a day uh, while getting uh, good at um, providing anesthesia for these patients from anesthetic management standpoint, along with being uh, becoming sufficient and certified in doing a transesophageal echocardiography. So it's a total about five years total. Okay. How competitive is it to match into cardiac anesthesiology? It's not terribly. Uh, it's not terribly competitive, and that's probably could be said about all of uh, anesthesia subspecialties. Um, probably, chronic pain and cardiac are the most uh, competitive. Pediatrics getting uh, more competitive as well, um, but it's certainly um, much easier to get into cardiac anesthesia than it is to get into anesthesia. What should a student be doing who's interested in cardiac anesthesiology to, to kind of stand out? Um, the most important thing I would say is just learning, you know, 
wherever residency program you're in or if you you know just shadowing the cardiac anesthesiologist seeing what what they're doing just understanding the intensity that goes with it and seeing if this is the right field for you if you have the intensity and the dedication and the de- desire you'll succeed no matter what a uh, standpoint of you know doing research doing uh, being involved you can do um you know anything that's going to help you with your anesthesia residency it doesn't have to be cardiac anesthesia specific um but you know once you're in residency i always encourage residents to find interesting cases that they do with me like uh, yeah yesterday we did a case with this lady who had a ginormous right atrial thrombus which was taking up all of right atrium and you know there was a good case report we take took some good pictures so we can present that and the resident can write that up which looks good in your resume that you're not just saying you want to do ra- cardiac anesthesia you actually show your interest by your actions okay this is what i've done and this is why this is why i like it or the osteopathic medical student listening to this who is fascinated with uh, cardiology and the the physiology of the heart who wants to go into anesthesiology become a cardiac anesthesiology do you see any um roadblocks in his or her way as an osteopath uh not not at all uh i think uh i I've, I've met multiple cardiac anesthesiologists that are DOs and osteopaths, and uh, they are phenomenal anesthesiologists and even better cardiac anesthesiologists. Um, so I've trained with uh, DOs. I have trained DOs myself, and uh, I, I, at least on in Midwest or at least on the East Coast where I did my training, I didn't really feel I didn't any any kind of bias against. Do you interact with the primary care providers much at all as a uh, cardiac anesthesiologist? Yeah, sometimes we have to, uh, depending on what they are. A lot of time it would be for non-cardiac operations that they may be coming in for a patient that may have a significant cardiac uh, disease as well. So at a patient that we did aortic valve and now she was coming back for uh, a gallbladder surgery. Uh, so like, And... Um, you know, we wanted to know when was the last time this patient underwent evaluation, when when was the last echo, and, you know, that's something that the patient's primary care, or in some cases, their cardiologist would be following up on and managing. What other specialties do you work the closest with? Uh, we ended up, because of our case mix, um, we ended up basically dealing with every subspecialty from, you know, from medicine, from surgery, Obviously, all kind of surgical subspecialties. Uh, I was just running around in the pathology lab today trying to look at some slides with uh, one of the cases that we did last week, which was pretty interesting. And I wanted to just, uh, I couldn't find any case reports or any kind of anything in, for references uh, of what we found in this patient. It was a, uh, a very specific kind of myxoma that we find in this patient's left atrium. So we dealt with pathology, we deal with psychiatry when we're dealing with their ECTs, we're dealing with internal medicine from certain part of when we're doing endoscopies, GI bleeds, um, you know, you name it. And I, I think we pretty much deal with every, subspe- every specialty out there. Do you see any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine for cardiac anesthesiologists? Um, that, that's a difficult question because because cardiac anesthesia relies so much so heavily on all the things that we need like for example for any standard anesthesia any standard cardiac case you need a te you need a cardiopulmonary bypass machine 
which has its own limitation where you can and can't use it from standpoint what all the equipment that you need for that. So there's not a whole lot of things you can do with it from non-clinical standpoint. What I mean, there's teaching and, you know, this is, which is very enjoyable. So that'd be one thing. How big is industry if you wanted to go into industry? Um, you know, pretty much all the big stuff is coming out is a lot of cardiac stuff's coming out. You know, the big thing right now is uh, the percutaneous valves that we're doing and which is getting huge. And it's, again, um, probably the only research that's going on uh, from a valve standpoint. Um, there's a lot of percutaneous devices coming out for patients with atrial fibrillation uh, that we help with. There's a lot of uh, things uh, coming out from the standpoint of um, um the assist devices I initially mentioned for patients in heart failure. Um, so cardiac is uh, cardiac anesthesia and cardiac surgery is booming because of what's all is going on in the industry, just from more and more procedures that we we have available and people are getting good at. What do you know now that you wish you knew going into cardiac anesthesiology? Um, I think uh, just the intensity of it at times because you don't appreciate it while you're in the moment and you actually appreciate it when you're doing when you're like for a change you have a nice easy day or you have a nice easy case um so i just think like at times the the intensity gets uh, a little bit too much and even if i'd known that i think i would have still gone into it but uh i think that's one thing i would uh just how much depth and understanding that we need to know the cardiac physiology and, and which is you know, what do you do in the moment for those situations? Uh, when the when do you mean during the intense yeah moments? Uh, I just depend. I think you just part of it. Your instincts take over. Part of it is you know when nothing makes sense, then you just have to tell yourself, "Listen, I'm very well trained, and I'm gonna back myself up, even though what I'm doing is not giving me the results that it should." Um, you know, there are things that you can't fix, and uh, you do the best you can, but I think uh, once uh, you do, you need to have your algorithms, you need to have whatever works for you so you don't miss anything, and, uh, you know, just be a good leader and be a good communicator and make sure that, you know, you don't leave any stone unturned, so when next morning you're thinking about it, that you're like, oh, I should have done this, and also don't forget always to, like, it's okay to ask for help. From the standpoint of you know they just having a fresh set of eyes, somebody like think coming from a different room into your room may pick up something that you weren't able to. So ask for help. Be a communicate good communicator, and uh, be loud and clear. What do you like the most about being a cardiac anesthesiologist? Uh, my favorite part is echocardiography. Um, that's to me is the most fun thing. That I it was essentially one of the main reason when I got to do my Transfer uh, when I did my echocardiography elective as uh, anesthesiology resident. Uh, that was kind of I was still considering between pediatric and cardiac anesthesia. That was kind of the last thing that uh, switched me over into cardiac anesthesia was just uh, the the upcoming of TE for all the cases that we do now, and uh, you know just being finding something that I can get really good at. What do you like the least? Not enough cases. <laughs> not enough cardiac specific cases. Not not enough crazy cases. I'm sure that'll change when I'm 50 years old. But as at this point, I mean, I think it'd be nice to like you know do more craziness, and that's just a 
being in the backyard of Cleveland Clinic, that's kind of the outcome, uh, the drawback of that. Yeah. Okay. Do you see any major changes coming to cardiac anesthesiology, whether it's medications or new devices? Yeah, lots of devices that are coming up. A lot of things that we can do, like we can do devices now for mitral regurgitation for something that a patient would have to go in for an open chest procedure. Um, now we can do a percutaneous device for that and a patient can go home on the same day or the next day. Or um, We're doing valves percutaneously. We started with the aortic valves and now we're doing mitral valves. So these are the patients that are high risk for, you know, um, a sternotomy and for all the long rehab that goes with uh, an open heart surgery. Uh, so we're doing this percutaneously and the patient go home the same day or next day. Uh, we're doing more and more devices for the, for assist devices for heart uh, transplant patients that are waiting for an organ to come up where we can put a device in them and send them home. And when their organ comes, then they come in and uh, we call them a, uh, essentially uh, a bridge therapy, a bridge to their transplant. Uh, but there's a lot of a lot of stuff happening from that standpoint. A lot of devices coming up. Uh, a lot more management for uh, atrial fibrillation. Initially, I mentioned patients who are high risk for uh, for stroke, secondary to atrial fibrillation, and who has uh, contraindication for being on uh, anticoagulation. Let's say uh, we would uh, actually go in there, and uh, there's certain procedures we can do to basically essentially close out the atrial appendage whether it's a lariat procedure or a watchman procedure, so patient doesn't have to be on anticoagulation. So lots of new stuff coming up. Now, just to clarify for a student, a lot of those devices, everything that you were talking about, those are going to change how you practice as an anesthesiologist, but you as the cardiac anesthesiologist aren't the actual one putting in those valves and, and everything mm-hmm. else, correct? Exactly, but we are an integral part of that yes. because, so let's say from a left atrial appendage standpoint, um, where we are identifying the appendage for the cardiologist or we are finding uh, exactly where they need to put the valve in. So remember, so let's just give you an example of an aortic valve that we're putting in. So remember, your coronary arteries are taking off within about uh, about six millimeters from where the aortic valve leaflets are. So if your valve's profile is three millimeters and if you are, you know, 10% off here, uh, too deep or too too shallow, the valve's not going to sit exactly where you need it to sit. And that's all guided by transesophageal echocardiography. And that's the kind of uh, stuff that's going to help a cardiologist and a CT surgeon do the procedure. So even though we are not actually deploying the valve, we are actually telling them exactly when and where to deploy the valve. And that's actually, you know, make you feel like a big part of the team because they rely on the information that you're telling them. That sort of of collaboration, that teamwork in the operating room is is the first time I'm hearing that sort of unique partnership between different specialties. Do you can you think of any other specialties where there's such a unique um, interaction between the two different specialties right in the moment? Uh, not really, because. I mean, it's just, I'm, I mean, I always like to tell the resident that, you know, we are the eyes for the surgeon. He can't see the heart. Mm-hmm. I'm the only one who can see that. He can see the valve. He saw the, he saw the left atrium close. Now he doesn't know if the, how the mitral valve is looking. I'm the only one who can tell him that. Yeah. And it puts a lot of pressure on you. And the, it's a good pressure that, you know, you need to have, you know, 
you get you have to be the best at echocardiography you possibly can yeah you're gonna make you know miss something and make a mistake here or there that's fine but you know you need to back yourself up and train you the possibly you can and you know and surgeon is gonna they'll ask you and they'll say okay you know you want me to go back on bypass and take a look and fix this valve and you have to tell them yes that's what you need to do because the valve is leaking already there's a paravalvular leak and it's not going to get better on its own you're going to put the patient in a heart failure so there's times when you have to make those big decisions and the surgeons respect you i mean obviously you have to earn your credibility but you know they know that they they need you yeah the only other relationship where I see a similar but nowhere near the the amount of collaboration is with movement disorder patients and mm-hmm. deep brain stimulators with neurology and neurosurgery. Mm-hmm. Similar, but very, very different. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a cardiac anesthesiologist? Yeah, absolutely. And what last words of wisdom do you have for a pre-med or a medical student or even an anesthesiologist who's thinking about going into cardiac anesthesiology? Uh, just do it. Don't, don't think twice about it. I think it's one of the best specialties. It's, uh, from a, from a job security standpoint, you know, you're doing something that not very many anesthesiologists can do from the standpoint of echocardiography. So, you know, you did all this training, so you want to make sure you're always in demand and, uh, you know, and be prepared to work hard and people would appreciate your hard work when, whether it's the surgeons or whether it's other anesthesiologists who are calling you for help. You you essentially become the go-to person for every sick patient, for every big case, whether it's a cardiac case or a Whipple or what what have you. You become the go-to guy when it comes to placing lines, managing patients. And if you if you don't mind those things, if you don't shy away from those things, then that's the best field you can possibly go into. All right, so there you have it. Cardiac anesthesiology, great subspecialty of anesthesiology. As Meninder was talking about it's a specialty anesthesiology of of loving every specialty and he chose the operating room route versus emergency department route and loves every minute of it it sounds and even wants more of it wants that more higher acuity patient so if you're thinking about anesthesiology take a look at cardiac anesthesiology find a cardiac anesthesiologist to shadow that's the best next step that you can take on this journey Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here at Specialty Stories.